Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. I was hanging out with some married folks the other day. Praise God for the three of you. And, um, and, um, and so I was hanging out with them, and they were like, you know, Pastor James, you ought to tell the church how you and your wife got together. And I was like, I've told that story a thousand times. They're like, that was probably a couple years ago. You should tell it again. I was like, I don't like to. It's painful to talk about because it's not a story that highlights me at all, praise God. But, um, but it was crazy. Like, um, when I met my wife, I met her. I was at a leadership conference. Before the leadership conference, I was in an airport. I saw my wife. She was reading Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Cimbala. So that's like not a light book. Like that's a I'm saved, saved book. You know what I'm saying? Then she had a cross on, but it wasn't too big. It was just big enough to say that I love the Lord. And it didn't have like diamonds on it. So it wasn't like it was her jewelry. It was like I'm, it was like I'm really, really saved. So I was like, okay, this girl has a potential of knowing God, right? So I was like, okay, dope. So I see her in the airport, and uh, just so happens she's going to the same conference I'm going to. We were going to this Christian leadership conference, and there she is. And we're hanging out, and we're talking, and I'm feeling her. So I'm like, I'm, and then listen, listen, listen. You just got to understand. I'm not the guy that, like, got girls in college, but if I did like a girl, she liked me. And the reason why is because I had done my research. This is all I'm saying. I wasn't the dude that felt like you would like me. I knew already that you liked me. I did a lot of investigation, praise God. So, so this is what I did. I'm like, okay, I see her. I'm like, bet. I get to the end, get to the end of this conference. And I'm like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm leaving tomorrow. She's like, oh, let me walk you back to your room. I'm like, that's what's up. Yeah, that's what's up. So we walk back and, uh, I'm, you know, we have a good conversation. And then all of a sudden, I make the move. Now, we got to remember, there's no email. Hey, amen? There's no social media. And there's no cell phones. I only got one shot. One shot. It's her phone number. It's the home phone number. I got one shot. I say, what's your number? What, you know, can I get your number? And she said, I'd love to give it to you. Listen, listen. I'm in there. You know what I'm saying? So, so I get her number. I get her number. I'm like, hey, how you doing? Da, da, da. Get her number. But then I start calling her. And when I call her, I, I can feel the friendship energy, like, really hard on the phone. Like, hey, what's up? And I'm just like, I'm like, I'm chilling, you know. And she's like, you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to give her romance tone. So I'm like, you know, what's up? And she's like, oh, I'm good. And I'm like, ah, this is not, this is not what I was looking for, you know. So... You know, guys, you've been, you've been there. You've been there, praise God. You could feel you're in the zone, right? So I was like, all right, I'm in the friend zone. I can feel this. So I keep calling her, keep calling her, keep calling her. Well, eventually, my friends are like, yo, you should ask her out. I'm telling you, you should ask her out. I'm like, yes, I am going to ask her out. So just so happens, she was working in North Carolina. My dad lived in North Carolina. Ended up going down there, seeing her, blah, 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 ask her out. I'm like, hey, I like you. And she hit me with the deepest phrase I had heard, like, in this deep rejection. She was like, I'm, you know, I, I, would, I would like you, but I'm, I'm really content in Jesus right now. I was like, wow. <laughs> oh, you're content with Jesus. Okay, okay. The, the, the spiritual wound goes deeper. You know what I'm saying? When they hit you with the content in Christ. I can't beat Jesus. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> so she's like, I love the Lord. I'm with him. I'm like, bet. So, then um, a few months later goes by, come to find out, I got this, I'm working for a church in Texas, I'm on their staff, 
she gets a job with them too. You know what I'm saying? So we're on the same staff now. We're on the same staff for a year. I got to pretend I don't like her for a year. So I'm just like, okay, I don't, I don't got to pretend I don't like you. And there are dudes wanting to get at her asking me for advice because we're on the same staff. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, yeah, she likes chocolates. Meanwhile, she's like allergic to chocolates. I'm like, yeah, yeah. That'll be awesome. So I ask her out again because I still like her, right? So I ask her out again, take her to Red Lobster. How many of y'all know? You know what I'm saying? All right. Praise God. Praise God. It's the biscuits. It's all about them biscuits. This, the shrimp, all that, but the biscuits. So I take her to Red Lobster. These are, this is a true story. These are facts I'm giving you. So I take her to Red Lobster. We hang out, try to get to know her. I tell her again, I'm like, you know, I just want to let you know I'm kind of still into you, you know, and um, so, and I felt like she was going to be like, I'm into you too. And she was like, oh man, like, then she hit me with like, well, how can I pray for you? I was like, well, well, yeah, that is, that is, that is a prayer request. That is a prayer request. So then, so then like, so then I go back to my friends and I was just like, yeah, I told her I liked her. And and then said, did you, so did you ask her? I was like, nah, well, I told her I liked her. So then I, I hit her up a couple days later. I'm like, look, I just want you to know, like, I, I, I really like you, and, you know, I'm into you, and uh, so, I, I mean, I, I kind of feel like you're into me, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, my friends keep telling you that you like me, and she was, she was like, I, I don't, um, and, and she was like, but I, I think you're a great guy. I just, you know, and so she's, so then I'm, I'm like, why don't you like me? So this is a horrible conversation. This is horrible. So time goes by, she ends up hanging out with one of her friends, or one of her friends is just like, why don't you like James? And she's like, I do, but I don't know. And then all of a sudden, and I didn't know the Holy Spirit could work like that, where you don't like somebody, and all of a sudden you're like, so she hits me up, and she's just like, I didn't know, miracle worker. No, but I mean like, I just didn't know. I didn't know he worked like that. I didn't know. I just didn't know. I was like, so, so, so she hits me up. So my, so she, she called me. She called me. And she was just like, you know, I just want you to know. We had just, we had just, oh, this is funny. We had just come from a sermon on fellowship. That's funny, out of the book of Hebrews. Funny, funny. And, um, and she hits me up after, and she's just like, yeah, you know, why don't we fellowship? And I'm just like, why don't we fellowship? Why don't we fellowship? Because you've dissed me three times. <laughs> Thought that was understood. And she was just like, nah, you know what? I just feel like God's doing something in my life. And, you know, I just, I just want to see, you know, what, what could happen. So fast forward, we end up dating. And then, um, well, we had to, we, we worked through, like, we had to figure out who we were. D- DTR, DTR, DTR. It was this long, arduous process. But we go through all that. Then finally, we start dating. The first day we're dating, she breaks up with me. True story. Now, she had dated this guy who was like, had stalker vibes all the time. So I wanted to hang out. And she was like, no, I can't do this. And she broke up with me. I was just like, oh. So finally, after that day, we get together. We finally get together. Then, June 28th, 2003, this is what happened. Bam, we get married. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right? So did all that. Did all that. And... um. Before the wedding, you know, my wife hadn't met my mama. She hadn't met my mom. So she, she's just like, honey, <coughs> um, your mom, I, I just, 
I just don't know. I mean, what if, what if your mom doesn't like me? I'm like, what do you mean with my mom? My mom will like you. She's like, but what if she doesn't like me? What if your family doesn't like me? I was like, what if my family doesn't like you? I was like, if, you're, if my family don't like you, they don't like me. <laughs> After all I've been through to get with you, we together, baby. We ain't, you ain't going nowhere. Oh, no. If they don't like you, they don't like us. Shoot. I love my mama, but shoot. I think that when we look at the church, I don't think we quite understand how God sees the church. Because when Jesus talks about the church, he says, that's my bride. And to get with me means to get with her. And functionally, within our society today, we work with the language, I love the church. I mean, I love God. Love God. I'm really into God. I can't stand the church. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know the church. I can't stand the church. And really, functionally, what we're saying is, I love Jesus, I just can't stand your wife. You see, Jesus in the book of Acts, when Saul was persecuting the church, this is what Jesus said in Acts chapter 9. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus didn't see the church as this functional place outside of who he was. He saw it as an embodiment of who he was. To know him was to know his people. We live in a day and age now where Church hurt is a part of how we operate, but I want to acknowledge <clears throat> there is a technical um, and a grammatical issue happening that we may not realize. In Matthew 16, the first time the word church is brought up, Jesus is talking to Peter and he says to Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. That's the first time the word church is mentioned in the Bible. Now, you have to understand that the word church in the Greek is the word ekklesia, ekklesia. That's what it means in the Greek. And in the Greek, it means called out ones or a gathering of people who were called out and coming together. So the church is actually a gathering of people. But when it comes to translation, that word ekklesia, when it was translated into German, it got translated into a German word, Kirch. And that German word, Kirch, is the Lord's house or the Lord's home, right? So it got translated into the image of a building or an institution or a place. And so in actuality, the real functional way we should understand the word church, every time you see the word church in the Bible, it really should say congregation. It really should be like people coming together. It really should be connecting with individuals because Jesus did not die for a place. He died for people. And when Jesus in Matthew 16 was predicting the church, he was not predicting a place. He was predicting a people, a group of people that would come together. And so the reality is, is that we, we are going to have... Um, uh, Soul Cafe, if you've ever been here for it, it's a great time, it's, it's music and all that, but at our Soul Cafe event, which will replace our Sunday service, same times, 4 and 6 p.m., coming up here in a few weeks, we're going to deal with this topic of church hurt, because church is this one place 
that if you get hurt by one person, all of a sudden it becomes expendable, right? And it's because we have institutionalized a group of people. And we do this only with the church. We don't do it nowhere else. You went to the club, you know what I'm saying? Some of y'all, I know y'all save, save. But you went to the club, <laughs> you went to the club, right? It was like, and you were there and somebody stepped on your foot. You're like, oh my gosh. And then somebody bumped you like, oh, I hate this place. I got club hurt. I'm not going back to the club no more. <laughs> no more weekends at the club. I can't do it. I can't do it, right? You just couldn't do it. You had to deal with that woman in financial aid at your college. You know that woman? She's at every college. She is amazing how she has no patience. She doesn't care about your life. You know that woman? That woman at financial aid, the same woman, but you found a way to go to homecoming still, amen, right? Like you still went back because you realize that one person doesn't define an institution, right? But we do that with the church because we don't, there is one person that defines this institution and his name is Jesus, right? He defines this place. But institutionally, it's easy to say that this is a place not a people. And what Jesus wants us to understand is that we are a gathering of broken people trying to come together and love him. And in the midst of it, we're going to hurt one another. We're trying to figure it out. We're on a journey together. And we will not meet each other's expectations. But Jesus is at the center of this place. And within the midst of our hurts, he's healing us. He's healing our pains. In the book of Hebrews, the author is trying to get at two ideas in the text we're going to look at today. He is going to admonish them that we cannot draw near to God without drawing near to his people. And we can't draw near to his people without drawing near to God. If you're going to have a close relationship with God, functionally, we have to learn how to draw near to his people. Hebrews chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, you can go there or you can look up on the screen. <clears throat> what the author here is trying to do is he's trying to get at this idea that there's no longer a need for a priest. These were Jewish Christians who only understood the priest as the one who would get closest to God. He's the one that could go beyond the veil. The high priest would go once a year into the Holy of Holies and connect with God. The priest, only the high priest. And here he says in Hebrews 9, uh, chapter 10, verse 19, he says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, I want you, if you have a Bible, circle that word confidence. He doesn't just tell them to draw near to God. He says, draw near. And he says, have confidence to enter this holy place. That word confidence, it's been repeated throughout the book of Hebrews. That word confidence, it means free speech. 
unedited speech, raw speech, to speak in such a way to not have any barriers in my communication, open dialogue, unhindered communication, confidence. I'd like to surmise to you that you have unedited friendships and you have edited friendships. You got people who, they get that raw. I mean, you tell them, you call them up, be like, yo, what's up? All right, okay, okay. I'm about to kill somebody, but listen. <laughs> listen. Listen, I, I don't want to go to jail, but I'm going to kill somebody. Right? Like, you, you give them totally, 100%, Everything going on inside of you, right? Like that real. But then you got another group of friends, right? I was on the phone the other day. And I told a story to my wife. And then my homeboy called me, a guy I've been knowing for a long time. He called me. <clears throat> and I told the story again. And my wife, my wife was just sitting there. Now, your wife, listen, the one thing about marriage, your wife really knows you, knows you, right? So she's sitting there. I got off the phone. She was like, what was that? I was like, what you mean? She was like, what? I mean, you just, you told them like half the story. I was like, I mean, truth is, I know, I know he talked about me. You know what I mean? Like, I can't trust him. So I kind of, I, yeah, I, I can't tell him the full story because he'll manipulate what I'm saying. I can't trust, I can't trust what I tell him. She was like, oh, I thought y'all were close. I said, I thought we were too. Hey, Amen. that's a whole nother conversation. But this is the thing, like, I have a very small circle of people that I know I can speak in an unedited, confident way because they know me and they will accept me in the midst of my flaws. They love me so much that when I'm saying crazy stuff, they help me edit out my crazy so I don't go out and like, live like a fool, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so this is what he's saying, look at what he's saying. Since we have confidence, confidence, confidence to enter into the holy place. See, the problem is these folks are having a hard time imagining themselves being raw with a holy God. I, oh my goodness, how real, how real, I mean, how much real do you want, God? You want the real me or the edited me? And unfortunately, some of you have given God the edited you for so long that your prayers are being laced with beauty and you say all these things. I mean, you, you basically, when you pray, you give God your resume. You know what I'm saying? You, you know about your resume, huh? Huh? Yeah. You didn't mow lawns, huh? Huh? You were a landscaping engineer, huh? Huh? Soup that thing up, didn't you? Made it nice and right. So they would think of you favorably. And that's what you do with the Lord. You put flowery words because you don't think God wants the raw and real you. So there are barriers in front of your relationship with God. And those barriers come because you lack confidence. Confidence in him.
And so he's saying you can have confidence to enter the holy place. And the image he says is in verse 20, by the new and living way. He says there's a new way we can communicate with God now. There is a new way that we can operate in our communication. I know that you've only known the priest who went before you and would sacrifice on your behalf. Only the priest could be in this raw, real place of the Holy of Holies. And when he did go in there once a year, he was sacrificing. I know you read about Moses where God said, you could only see my back. I know that you read about Isaiah where he was saying, holy, holy, holy. I know you've read about this God, but this God wants you to draw close because this same great high priest was also the great sacrifice on your behalf. That raw, real that you feel insecure about, Jesus died for. And so when Jesus is on the cross, well, when Jesus is on the cross, in Matthew 27, it says, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. <clears throat> now, the unfortunate thing is, when you read about that, you go, oh, that's dope, like the veil torn in two. Okay, that's dope. But it doesn't do anything. In other words, that is there, and the author references it because he says that should give you confidence. In the temple, we have a picture of the temple here. In the temple, you had all these different images, the holy of holies, and you had the, the, the veil and the candlestick. They were all symbolic pictures of being able to be in a relationship with God where there were sacrifice and there were incense, all these things. But the one thing, before you got to the Holy of Holies, before you got into the very presence of God, there was a veil there. The veil in the temple, listen now, was 60 feet high. So just think in your mind, a 60 foot tall veil. But not only that, the veil was four inches thick. This thing was thicker than any comforter that you've ever laid on top of you. You would never lay a four-inch blanket on top of you. It feel like a big piece of wood on top of you. Like, I cannot even breathe. No one would ever do that. It was, it was put together with scarlet and purple. It was this beautiful thing. It was so thick and big. And all of a sudden, you would never get in there. And when you drew it back, it was like this big thing, 60 feet high, four inches thick. No one would be able to rip that. And if I did rip it, I would start from the bottom and try to work my way up to the top. But in the text, it says that the veil was torn from what? Top to bottom. And when the people said, wow, the veil was torn? Somebody tore the veil? Good God, who was that? Goliath came back, Lord Jesus. The veil was torn? My goodness. And then what? From top to bottom, only God could do that. And what that did was gave them confidence. This is where the confidence is. If I rip the veil, I'm trying to interrupt you, God, like, hey, what's up? <laughs> but if you rip the veil, then you want me. You are opening a door to a relationship with me. And since you have been seeing sacrifices for years for my sin, you know me. You know the raw me. You know 
the full story of my life. And Jesus references, listen, Jesus references this deep desire for God to get the real you. Not the fake, impressive you. Not the resume you. The raw and real you. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, drawing near to God first begins with having a prayer life. Having a consistent, regimented, real prayer life. If prayer is only at dinner and emergencies, God still loves you. It's just, that's just not intimacy. Imagine you only call me when you're in a jam and you call me during dinner. That's cool, but I'd like a fluid relationship with you. God is calling us to have more intimacy. In Matthew 6, verse 5 and 6, he says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they may have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in secret. You know what the crazy thing about Jesus? Jesus, we'd all agree Jesus loves people, amen? I think he's kind of into people. I think he likes people, made them, hung around them. It's awesome. But you know one of the things Jesus always did? He was hiding from people sometimes. Like he'd go up on a mountain, like where's Jesus? He'd be like, shh, don't, 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 don't tell nobody. Like he's going away from people. He'd go to a mountain, he'd go to a garden. There are literal times in the Bible where they're looking for Jesus and they can't find him. And the reason why is that he did not want to be found. Because he wanted to be alone with God. And here... Jesus is saying, this is how you pray. Go and get yourself a room. Now, at this time, this would have been a storage closet. So it would have been an inconvenient place, but a place no one would ever look for you. And so he says, go get to a room. And then he says, don't just go in the room. Shut the door. And pray to your father who sees in secret. Remember growing up, you play hide and seek? You hiding? Yeah. You ever hide with somebody else? Like, wasn't that fun? Like, you hide and you, you look at them like, oh, my gosh, we're hiding. Right? You just have this moment, right? Wasn't it, like, you have this, like, cool energy. Like, you can hear the person walking by. You're like. <laughs> right. And you guys had, like, this little thing going. Because you were hiding from people and you guys had this little thing and it, some things probably shouldn't happen in there. Amen. But that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> Praise the Lord for his pure and holy spirit. But listen, but you were in there, right? And wasn't it cool when you were hiding with somebody else and you had this quiet moments with them? It is weird to say you love God and you believe he accepts you. All your secrets live with people and not with God. That's what Alicia Keys said. Alicia Keys says she want to be her, your diary. Yeah. Give me your secrets. That's what I want. I want to, I want to know your secrets. Huh? And you want a friend like that. Straight up. 
You want a friend that totally gets you and you can tell them that raw, real, hypocritical, I don't even sound like I know God person deep inside of you and you share it probably with somebody that may not even know God. Like, let me, I can't even tell you. Let me call my friends from back in the day, right? You call, like, but God wants to be that friend because he's the father who sees in secret. He wants you and him to have a secret place. Shh, 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 drop. Don't let anybody distract you right now. Me and you. Shh, shh. Me and you. Get the world away. I want me and you time. That's how you draw near to God. That's how you create intimacy. It is through creating time, space, a place, but it is also giving that person the raw, honest, real, inconsistent you. The unedited you. And you see, but don't miss what Jesus is doing here. In Matthew 6, Jesus is literally telling you to hide from people. And what we see throughout the scriptures is Jesus is hiding from people. But then in the next chapter, he's healing people. Why was he hiding from people? Jesus hid from people so he could help people. Jesus got away from the world so he could be ministering to the world. Jesus wasn't like isolating him. He wasn't getting me time. He was getting strengthened by his father so he could do ministry and give glory to God. You see, once we take our time to gather up our hearts, look what he says in verse 23. Let's read this together. On three, one, two, three. Let us hold fast. So the, the idea of holding your confession... This idea of holding on what you've known. And then he says, let us consider how to stir one another towards love and good deeds. Not neglecting to meet together. So understand, he says neglecting to meet together. Neglecting. It's the same word that Jesus said on the cross, thou, why hast thou forsaken me? It means leaving. It means not connecting, not being fully present. And he says the opposite of this neglect would be to stir up one another. Well, that word stir doesn't mean what we do with Kool-Aid, amen? But it does mean the essence of it. When we stir Kool-Aid, we are knowing that the sugar will naturally go to the bottom. And if I do not intervene, it won't be the same kind of drink that it was intended to be. In the same way, the contents of our community draw to the bottom. And where we draw to is convenience and comfort. And we have to be stirred up. The word stir or stir, in other versions it has spur. The word stir there is the same word that is translated in the book of Acts when Paul and Barnabas have a sharp disagreement. 
That word means to irritate. But not just to get on your nerves. Irritate to action. So when you read it now, it says, and let us consider, I need to think about someone outside of myself, how I can stir up one, that's you, another, that's me, me and you. We need to think about where each other are at and what we can do to help each other along. Now, understand this one another concept is all throughout the Bible. Ephesians 4:32 says, be kind to one another. Colossians 3:16 says, admonish one another. It says, bear one another's burdens, love one another, encourage one another, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another. So one another and one another ring is what we do, but there comes a place every now and then where we have to irritate one another because you just don't want to do right. And I need to irritate you to action. You see, he says, there, there, there came a point in the community where they neglected to come together and they stopped. They were in the environment together, but they, they weren't meeting together. They weren't stirring each other up. If you look at the model of fellowship, <clears throat> we talked earlier about peer discipleship, but we can create in our church an environment of discipleship where we're reading and we're praying together, but we actually cannot force you to fellowship with people. You see, because where there is praying and reading, praying alone and reading alone and reading with family and praying with family, right there in the center is one anothering. It is when we are injecting each other into each other's business, knowing what I need to hear. It's also supporting one another and caring for one another and loving one another. This is why we do city groups so that we can have an environment where we one another one another. And we can't always get there. Maybe your schedule is crazy, but even if you can't be in a city group, you need to one another one another because we need one another. And you need stirring in your life. And it is at the point at which you do not believe you need to be stirred when you think you're good. And you don't need someone to speak to you Therefore, you do not realize the depth of your blind spot. You cannot see you. The only way you can see you is when a mirror is held up to you. And even when a mirror is held up to you, you cannot always get a good picture of how you're coming across. And so the word of God can convict us, but we need people in our lives. You see, that's a whole different thing than coming to a Sunday service. Fellowship, connection, one another, that's totally different. And the more that the church operates in this space of one another, one another, as the one anothering happens, there comes a point where spurring can, that hurt a little. And there comes a point where our expectations of one another go awry and we start getting frustrated and we get confused. And then we say, you know what? I'm one anothered out. You know what I'm saying? Woo! 
I didn't have enough one another tonight. Thank you. No more one another for me. And you can operate with church hurt not because you left, but because you stayed, but you're not fully present. You see, he says, we've neglected one another. When Jesus died so that we would be this unique community, and you know what Jesus says? The world will know that you're my disciples because you know so much of the Bible, it just blows our mind. The world will know you're my disciples because you've memorized Genesis to Revelation. Oh, you've gone to this conference, it blew your mind. You did miracles and you walked on water. Whoa, whoa, whoa. the world will know you're my disciples because you love one another. You want another, one another. The world is blown away by the patience we have with one another. This is going to blow your mind. It is easier for me to be patient with my coworker than it is my wife. <laughs> Do you know that? Yeah, because there comes a point, it's like, Ted, I get it. I, you know what, Ted? That's okay. That's okay. We're going to work through this, okay? But I'm going to go home. All right, okay. I'm leaving. Because I got, I, got, I, got, I got limited time. I know I need to hold my breath with you for about two more hours, and then I'm out. But I'm coming home to my wife. And I'm going to wake up, and she's going to be right there. And our lasting relationships are often our most hurting relationships and the most hurtful relationships. And it is when we've got to be honest with one another. And we do life with one another. Ooh! And when you endure, and when you're patient with that brother or sister that has worked your last nerve, you are an embodiment of what Jesus says. The world will be impressed when we love one another. When we endure with one another. When we care for one another. That's what changes the world. It is who we are with one another. And so you have to understand that the alternative of one anothering is this new term I told you about. I've, I'm learning the, the, the internet is an amazing place. This thing they call ghosting. Ghosting. Wow. Ghosting. Let me teach you what it is. The practice of ending a personal relationship with someone by suddenly and without explanation withdrawing from all communication. I keep hearing this is a thing. This is a thing. This is a thing. Like, this is a normal practice. And when, because some of you here may decide, you know what, this church, I'm not talking about people who are like guests, you've been around for a while, but some of you are going to be hurt and you're going to ghost the church because you think you're ghosting an institution. You don't think it could hurt somebody. You don't think people could actually feel the weight of it, like they actually loved you, like they actually cared for you. So this idea of, of ghosting comes about when you just said, it's not worth it. 
It's too much. I don't feel like no more one another. I'm one another down. I can't. I can't. I can't. I'm good. I don't want to suffer anymore. I don't want to sacrifice anymore. It hurts too much to deal with you or y'all. And lastly, the author here reminds them of something. He says in verse 32, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And he says, there was a time when you walked into the church and you were willing to endure suffering. He says, you, he says you endured struggles and sufferings and sometimes you were publicly exposed and he was talking about persecution at that time. He says, but you, you even related to, you had compassion for those in prison. You looked at people who were suffering and you had compassion for them. And thirdly, he says, man, you even accepted the plundering of your property, meaning that there was literally moments there where when people found out you were a Christian, they stole your stuff. And oftentimes it was the Roman Empire who had a legal right to steal what was yours simply because you name the name of Jesus. And he says, you remember you were able to connect to prisoners? Remember when you thought this was just us suffering together? But it got too hard. You know, when you were first enlightened. But over time, it just, it got hard. It got too weighty. He says, but this is what caused you to endure. Look at the last part. He says, you yourselves, he says, since you knew, since you knew, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. He's literally saying that there was a point at which you had something that was yours and it was stolen from you and you thought to yourself, well, I'll get it back in the kingdom so I don't have to worry about it now. And what he was in essence saying is, you knew that the church was a broken place and the place that we're all aiming for is the kingdom of God. Because while we're in this broken place, we're sitting next to broken people. You know you're sitting next to a broken person. You're sitting next to a person who had dreams that have been shattered. You're sitting next to a person that looks confident, but is filled with doubt. You're sitting next to someone with the great potential that it took everything for them to walk in here tonight. You're sitting next to someone who they've kept praying this prayer. They keep praying this prayer. They keep praying this prayer. And they're tired of praying. And you're like, oh, why don't they lift their hands? Because it's too heavy. sitting next to someone who they swore I wouldn't do it again and they did it again 
And they're, they're not just tired of God, they're tired of themselves. You're sitting next to pain. You're sitting next to problems. And so I know I'd like to welcome you to Bridge Church if this is your first time. I'd like to welcome you to the church. But just for a little while, I want you to know this is the fellowship of the suffering. This is a place where there are great pains, a lot of doubts, lots of confusion, lots of fears, lots of anger, lots of animosity, unreconciled relationships all throughout this room. But in the center of this room is the healer. One day, we're going to meet the healer. And the Bible promises that he will give us this warm embrace and he'll be so kind to wipe away our tears. He'll be so kind to eat meals with us. I, I feel like I'm going to dap Jesus up when I see him. I feel like I'm going to just like, pop. I'm going to bring him close because I feel like Jesus has some hood in him. I feel it deep in my heart. I feel like me and Jesus are going to be close. I feel like it's going to be this beautiful time. And when I pray, I feel so close to God. When I read my word, I want to know God more. And I've had some great friends in the church. And I know some great people. But there have been people who broke my heart. And when my heart is broken by God's people, I try to think more about God than broken people. In the center of this place is Jesus, the healer. Henry Nouwen called us wounded healers. That's what we are. We're wounded and we're being healed in the name of Jesus. So I just want to let you know, it's not that some of us were hurt by the church. The church hurts. It's a sharp, broken place. When you pick up broken glass, there's a good chance you'll get cut because it's broken. Welcome to the fellowship of the suffering, a place of broken people. Broken people. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we ask you right now, remind us of the beauty of this fellowship. Remind us of your sacrifice on our behalf. And by your stripes, we are healed. Let this be a place of healing tonight. Let this place be a healing tonight. Let this be a place where we walk together the healing power of Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit shower over those places that I've been so deeply hurt. God, I want to get closer to you. Help me to get closer to people. Help me not to hide from people. Help me not to harbor the past. Cover my pain. And help me to love in Jesus' name. I wonder if you'd stand with me.
Don't run too too fast past the statement on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He was sold by one of the closest people to him. He knew he'd be betrayed and he died for them. It is through suffering. If you want to help somebody in this world, if you want to do ministry in this world, if you want to serve the living God, it will come through suffering. If you want to make a dent in the pain in this world, it will come through suffering. It will come through suffering. It is a Calvary road. There is a cross on your back. And the same people you want to help will be the very people that hurt you. How do I know? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. This is a fellowship of suffering. wonder if we could have the communion come. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.